Uh, good evening, everyone. Welcome to the April 26, 2023 uh, QPSC. Um, before we go into roll call, we have a slight adaptation of the roll call. I'm going to ask uh, General Counsel to make some comments on this adaptation we've had to make. Thank you, Chair Bouquet. So, uh, Trustee Friedman's here tonight as in his role as the um, executive officer of the board. He will count towards quorum. And uh, Trustee Sion is joining us remotely under the traditional Brown Act rules. So he does count towards the quorum because it's a traditional Brown Act and his location is on the agenda. Thank you, sir. Given that, uh, Madam Clerk, can we go into roll call? Yes, Trustee Banerjee is excused. Trustee Bouquet. Here. Trustee Esteen is excused. Trustee Stein. Here. And uh, Trustee Friedman. Present. Excellent, we do have a quorum. Excellent. Um, we always open the evening with the purpose of the QPSC. I'll read it again to us briefly. The QPSC is established to provide oversight and leadership for the medical staff credentialing, review of organizational policies, and monitoring of organizational quality assurance, performance, improvement, and safety programs. The QPSC is charged with the continuing practice of direct communication with medical staff leaders on issues of clinical operations and patient care. So with that opening, uh, we typically go into public comment. Madam Clerk? We have none. We have no comment. Uh, so with that, before we go into item A, I will make note that tip-off for this evening's game is at 7 p.m. So if we could all move along, our warriors uh, have some battle to do, and it'd be nice to support them. So uh, if everyone will, uh, we of course want to hear the things we need to hear, but if people can do it quickly, that would be great. So moved. Okay. So, <laughs> so uh, I will try to uh, follow that as well. Uh, as you know, is the tradition we open up with an article. Uh, the article here uh, was entitled Revisiting the Time Needed to Provide Adult Primary Care. This was a very uh, intriguing uh, article. It came out of two not too slouchy organizations, Johns Hopkins, uh, uh, the University of Chicago, and the Imperial College of London. In brief, uh, this was a modeling study. So this wasn't real patients. And what it, what it sought to answer the question was to quantify the time for a primary care physician to provide guideline recommended preventative care, chronic disease care, and acute care alone. And that was modeled as an estimate versus that PCP as part of a care team. I will say it, 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 the, some of the conclusions were very interesting and I don't know if the numbers are as important, but they, they are very intriguing as the concept. What they found was that when the PCP alone was trying to meet all these guidelines, in aggregate, this would require 26.7 hours per day. Now, I'm not a super mathematician, but that seems more than a regular day. And, and that was broken down as 14.1 hours per day for preventive care, 7.2 hours for chronic disease care, 2.2 hours a day for acute care and 3.2 hours of documentation. When in their model, when the PCP was part of a care team, that dropped to 9.3 hours per day, which was still a relatively long day. I'll give a quick quote, uh, which came from the discussion. Given the large gap between the time required to provide guideline-based care and the limits of a clinical day, it might explain why national health care outcomes are worse than expected and perhaps physician burnout as well. These findings explain why improvements in the quality of primary care have eluded the USA for the last two decades. 
So uh, I, this is more as an intriguing one. I know we uh, primary care is a centerpiece of what we're trying to do here. Um, uh, a very intriguing study, uh, and I'll open this up for comments. I'm first going to go to our chief medical officer, always putting her on the spot. Uh, Dr. Tornabeni, any comments on, on this vis-a-vis -vis the mission that we're trying to do with primary care in this org? Yeah, I, I mean... Um, the article, of course, the, the numbers were stunning, the 26.7 hours, but I, I actually, after reading this, came away encouraged with the direction yeah. we're going, meaning that it, you know, this numerical analysis was so interesting because it really just provided that additional evidence, so to speak, yeah. that, that we cannot, you know, a physician or a nurse practitioner cannot do it alone. Right. It is absolutely um, required that we have a team around them. Um, but even with that team, it, you know, it always makes me think too about what's next. What are other ways? Because even with this, a, a team, it's at nine hours a day. And so yeah. what are some other ways that we can leverage? Are there technologies? Are there other approaches that we can um, look at in order to get to prevention? That, that is not just about an office and a team. And I think that that's, you know, we're looking at things like community health workers, other other roles um, in order to support patients. Thank you, Dr. Tormey. Uh, Trustee Friedman, Trustee Sayan, any comments on this as vis-a-vis -vis what we're trying to do in primary care here at AHS? Um, it's David here. It, it made me think of something I heard on the radio the other day about how the life expectancy in Costa Rica is five years more than it is in the United States. Yeah. Um, and the reason, in addition to maybe the weather or uh, fresh food, is that community health workers visit every family twice a year yeah. to make sure that they're up to date on immunizations and any care needs are being addressed. And so, absolutely, I agree we're going in the right direction. Maybe in a few years, we'll be going to people's homes twice a year. Yes, sir. Trustee Friedman, any comments, sir, to put you on the spot? Yeah, no problem. I, I think the uh, the reason why your math, there is a discrepancy. You're limiting your vision to only the planet Earth. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> I do have many of those delusions, uh, I do admit. So I, I think what, you know, what I like the exercise is the exercise of math of time. And this certainly relates to when we're building budgets. How many patients do we put on a template? Sometimes I would argue, I know this is sacrilege to our finance people, maybe less is more sometimes. And I'm gonna get looks around the room. Um, but but you know, to be thoughtful about that, how long does it take to really build that bond and then do the work? And uh, you know, when our when our primary care doctors are have a template on making up the number of 12 per day, and then you know, finding the time to chart, because I know that uh, for me, when I do a half morning clinic, uh, when I finish the clinic, the work starts with regard to documentation. Are we putting that math of time into things? Uh, because it's it's such a uh, it's such a finite resource that we have in this organization. So uh, just again, uh, the article to inspire thought on how we think about primary care in this organization. Barring no other comment, trying to move us towards tip off. I'll close item A, and I'll go to item B. Uh, uh, trustees, uh, the consent agenda is there before you. Uh, before entertaining a motion to approve the entirety of this consent agenda, are there any items that you feel need to be pulled? I'll make one comment. Item B1 actually has minutes from the month before as well as last month. There are otherwise items B1 through B4. Anything that needs to be pulled, trustees? 
I see a no from Trustee Friedman. I see a no from Trustee Sion. Given that, may I entertain a motion? Move approval. Yes, sir. <laughs> Trustee Friedman uh, has a, mo a motion on the With floor. With enthusiasm. <laughs> Trustee Sion, can we have a second from you, sir? Uh, 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 that was a second. Aye. That was an aye. Madam Clerk, can you get us to, uh, a call on that? Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Friedman. Aye. Trustee Seiden. Aye. The motion passes. All right, so we are moving along nicely. So that will go to item C. This, this is this portion of the agenda where we have direct communication with our, our medical staff leaders. Uh, I can't see anyone. I see Dr. Lee and I see Dr. Joshi. Is Dr. Abzali in the room? I don't think so. Okay. Um, how about we open up with Dr. Joshi this evening? Dr. Joshi, good evening. Hi, everyone. Good evening. Thanks for having us. I will be brief. Um, so for item A, want to highlight that the Alameda Hospital Foundation um, participated in the Alameda Hospital Foundation Run Walk, which was on Sunday. It was a lot of fun. Um, I know Mario was there, and I had actually sent uh, three of my kids for a register in the kids' run, and they had a blast. And it was so nice to see the community get together. I understand that there's a bigger event in September that the entire um, system participates in. So looking forward to that. Also in the community, we received updates from Amal Amini's team about parking accessibility for the physicians and advanced practice providers and parking lot maintenance. Otherwise, I want to highlight under quality that the credentials committees have been really active and these privilege forms that they have worked on, rheumatology, for example, optometry, are really, you know, blood, sweat, and tears and really reflect the providers that we are recruiting, the ones that we have, and the needs of our patients. Um, under C, I want to highlight that our hospital doctor communication performance is 80%. And under sustainability, a really big, we launched Epic in 2019, and now they're coming back to work with us to conduct usability testing with the clinical end users. So that's a really great way to get, and these are going to be one-on-one -on -one sessions with Epic to get feedback for how we are using Epic and areas of opportunity. Um, oh, and our waiting room in the Emerge department has a beautiful coat of fresh paint. So highly recommend everyone stop by to check it out. Happy to answer any questions. Thank you, Dr. Joshi. Trustees, any questions? I'll, I'll start out with one. Dr. Joshi, any updates on the strategic planning uh, committee, uh, the, the multidisciplinary strategic planning committee? No new updates since the last time we talked, but there are upcoming meetings. Okay. When's that next one? Um, let me look through my calendar and I'll update you as soon as I find it, if that's okay. Got it. And, and just to recall for everyone, this is that discussion between the healthcare district uh, 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 and Alameda Health System as well with regard to the future of uh, Alameda Hospital. May 18th. In May 18th, in the context of 2030 seismic compliance, which is coming upon us. Um, uh, I'll revisit an old question, uh, Dr. Joshi. Anything keeping you up at night? Anything that uh, uh, the trustees otherwise uh, would benefit from knowing which comes outside your structured report? No, I think we're moving in the right direction. We have a lot of cohesiveness within the med staff. Um, this version of the med staff that started in 2023 has even more diversity in terms of specialties represented in our MEC. So I feel like we're moving in a really good positive direction. Thank you, Dr. Joshi. Um, I don't see any other further questions or uh, comments from the trustees. So thank you for your report. Next, we'll go to uh, the chief of staff for uh, uh, the, the core, if you will. This is Dr. Lana Lee. Good evening, Dr. Lee. 
Good evening. Thank you, everyone. Um, our MEC had a short meeting this month uh, due to the triennial accreditation and the Joint Commission. Um, and so my update will be brief. Um, for community, we will provide updates at the next meeting. Uh, for quality, medical staff did approve uh, along with AHS and Alameda Hospital documents related to privilege forms as mentioned by Dr. Joshi. Um, we also approved a policy updating the medical staff credentialing and pr privileging of practitioners. Um, and as part of that, we removed a um, attestation for office-based providers. This was an attestation that was very confusing for providers and was often incorrectly completed. And now we have an alternative method of addressing or um, monitoring office-based providers and volume through the new OPPE process and static. Um, for staff and patient experience, we approved a psychiatry chair search committee uh, to start a new search for a psychiatry chair. And this will be included with all other remaining chair searches. Um, and I don't have any updates for sustainability, but I'm open to questions. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Lee. Trustees, any questions of Dr. Lee? Dr. Lee, same question as to Dr. Uh, that I gave to Dr. Joshi. Anything that keeps you up at night? Anything you do not need to report to the board, which falls outside this regular report that you have? Oh boy, that's a loaded question. It is <laughs> Anything that's going question. on, yeah. um, but I, I have to say, in my guy in chief um, hat, that the uh, media and the um, court judgments uh, around Mifepristone are keeping me up at night and very concerned about this country's ability to continue to provide care for women. Um, and I hope that as a system, as the state, in the state that we'll be able to continue to provide that care for them. Do you feel supported by the system on, on, on this dialogue? Absolutely, I absolutely do. Okay. Is there anything you need from this system further at current point? Not at this time. Thank you, but, but we have a lot of collaboration from the health system and operational support as well. Yes, ma'am. Mr. Jackson, sir. Thank you, Chair Bouquet, and thank you, Dr. Lee. I just wanted to acknowledge Dr. Lee's concerns, and we have just approved this afternoon a statement to the organization regarding mefeprestone and our position on it. And so um, we are not going to stand silently on this issue, and we will be making a, a proactive statement to the organization. Wonderful. Um, thank you, Mr. Jackson. Certainly. Scanning the room, any other comments from trustees? Madam Clerk, I can't see. Is Dr. Zali in the room? Yeah, I don't believe so. Dr. Zali, you're in the room? No. Okay, got it. Uh, doctors, thank you very much for you know speaking your truth. And uh, with that, we'll close out item C. So we are moving along. Um, item D is a standard item for, for this, this evening. This is the Patient Safety Regulatory Affairs and Quality TNM Dashboard. For those of you who follow regularly, know that we've added a new element here and I, we, we see a face that we always see. Uh, item D2 is the post-acute report in here. Um, Dr. Tornabene, can you help us out in why we've made this ad adaptation to our standing agenda item? Sure, the yeah, it, it's, it's really, we wanna highlight all of the regulatory work across the system. And so um, the, the our regulatory affairs team 
handles um, most of the regulatory affairs for the system, but for post-acute, Richard really leads um, all the regulatory affairs for post-acute. And we really wanna elevate the all of the regulatory affairs across the system. And so that's why we wanted to bring this into a regular agenda for the board. And I think that makes, that, that makes perfect sense. So this is our new standing format for this agenda item, giving space. Uh, for Mr. Espinoza, some of these things fall within big dashboards, but his shop is a little bit different than others. So we wanted to give light yeah. to that, just as Dr. Tornabeni said. So with that, I'm going to give it to, um, you know, our quality team led by our, our VP of quality, Ms. Anna Torres. Of course, in support, we have Darshan Graywall, our system director of patient safety, Nilda Perez, our system director of regulatory affairs, and uh, Ms. Annette Johnson, who's our quality analytics manager. So uh, good evening, Ms. Torres. Floor is yours. Good evening. I'm going to share my screen. Okay, so this is the report for uh, March. Ms. Torres, I think we're not seeing, give, give us one second here or try to share again. And we can make an audible here and share from the packet if need be. Would that, because uh, you do you only have one screen there uh, wherever yes. you are? Oh, that makes it, maybe that's the problem. Yeah, so uh, uh, you're going to sort of be going in the blind, as we call it. So we will uh, we will uh, bring up uh, the dashboard. And how about you just start talking? And, okay. And we can, we'll, we'll bring up something for people to see. Okay, so um, first thing I wanted to share was, uh, I'm going to keep it really brief tonight, but I wanted to share that for our harm rate, we are down to 2.2% for the month of March. So we've had a steady decline since November. And I know last month there was a discussion on whether, um, what are we doing for active surveillance? Because we know that the harm rate that's reported through patient safety is a uh, voluntary reporting. Um, and part of the reason why we do that, or actually the major reason, is because it's an early warning tool for us. So it lets us know what's happening out there in the organization. So we, we do keep um, that harm data. Um, what I wanted to share was what we are doing as far as active surveillance. So as part of this True North metric, there's uh, data behind that harm number. Um, and if you recall, last year we went from going to from a harm rate to raw numbers for harm because uh, the thought was each and every number is a patient that we've harmed. And you can't really see that with a rate. Um, so that's one of the reasons we presented numbers. But behind that harm rate, we've got the falls and we've got pressure ulcers, which are voluntarily reported through our patient safety MIDA system. But we've also have the uh, infection control measures, which are um, active surveillance, meaning that we do have to go out and find that. That's not something that's voluntarily reported. So that's our bloodstream infections, our catheter-associated infections, our SSIs, and our MRSA bacteremia. And that's all included in our harm rate. In addition to that, and I'm sorry I can't share my slide, we do have what's called the PSI-90. And PSI um, is essentially the patient safety indicators, which is um, something that was developed through the AHRQ after the Institute of Medicine report on to Earth is Human. Um, and what they did is they went out and um, developed measures so that we can measure um, in-hospital complications or uh, adverse events. 
And we do monitor that um, in quality. We partner very closely with our CDI team. Um, so when we've got things that get coded that are potential harms, we do take a look at those cases. That information just is reported on in our True North metric report. Um, and on that, we're running a little higher. Um, but I think the way this all works is it, it works well because on our, on our patient safety voluntarily reporting, we do have a lot of falls reported. It's our major, it probably represents 80% of the harm that's on this board. Um, but the data that we need to report out to uh, CMS on falls is really the most complicated and the most um, serious. So it's a fall with a uh, hip fracture. And on those, we're, we're doing really well. I think we are at a zero rate. Um, so it all sort of, aligns. Anyway, I hope that makes sense. I'm sorry I couldn't share my slides. Um, when we get to this harm report, so I'm sorry, this is just a True North metric report. And on two of these, you can see we're running uh, in the green. So we're doing well here. Um, and again, I'll just point to the harms. So we are starting to see the harm rate come down and hopefully we'll see it continue uh, to decrease. Um, in the next couple of months, we will be rolling out the new TNM report, and that's something we're going to start working on in the next uh, few days. Um, we're probably going to keep many of these metrics, although there, I happen to believe that a few of these will change. And part of what we're also going to do is uh, the equity drill down for the new version um, and ensuring that our some of our metrics align. So we are getting uh, the NDNQI, which is another benchmarking tool. So we're gonna make sure that our harm definition, for instance, aligns across all of the programs. Um, and I think that's all I, oh, I, the big thing we wanted to share is under regulatory affairs, we did have our survey for the core. Um, if you recall, we were expecting to have that survey in February and it finally came last week. Um, and the organization as a whole did very, very well. Um, under closed session, Nilda will share some additional information. Trustee, thank you, Ms. Torres. Uh, trustees, any comments or questions so far on the presentation? Now, I'll just follow up with what Ms. Torres said. Uh, I'll remind us that, that uh, towards the end, we, we need to set a new board of True North metrics across a variety of disciplines, be it HR, finance, in quality, we seem to own most of the dashboard. There are 11 items in here. And I, I know Dr. Tornabeni and the quality team are, are putting together a presentation to make proposal for that, that'll come. And, and if it helps, we see that of these 11 items, only two are green. So abandoning some of these might uh, be a, a little bit premature. So I think, uh, I think our quality team will help navigate us in that. Trustees, any questions or, on for Ms. Torres? All right, Ms. Torres, keep it going. Thank you. Is it Ms. Perez next? Uh, or we can do that close. Richard. Oh, Richard. Oh, okay, so yeah. we're closing out item yeah. D1 right now. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, item D2, now which we've added, is uh, the post-acute uh, as rel relates to quality. Uh, everyone knows that, of course, Mr. Espinoza is our CAO of post-acute services. Good evening, Mr. Espinoza. Good evening. Uh, in the spirit of the tip-off, I'm going to make this quick. Um, can you see my screen? We can. Perfect. 
Uh, so for PostAcute, um, I'll leave this all for your uh, perusal, but I just wanted to give some more context on the five-star rating for quality. Uh, each metric has certain points, uh, so just wanted to break down. There's some complexity to uh, the star rating process. Uh, Alameda's at five stars overall for quality measures. Um, these are some of the items they're working on, return to the acute. Um, stop and watch, which is on the next slide, uh, some of our clinical complexities around pressure sores that we are admitting to our units, catheter usage and influenza vaccine. Um, this is our stop and watch program. Uh, CNAs aren't really allowed to assess, but this is a document that we work with Interact on, which allows them to monitor any changes that are happening in patients and then work with the nurse. And so we're hoping, and we've been seeing that um, by identifying changes earlier, we're able to prevent transfers uh, to the acute. Uh, Fairmont also five stars in quality measures through CMS. Uh, they're focused on uh, also clinical complexity with pressure sores that they're admitting from the acute settings, uh, catheter uh, usage, which uh, helps with pressure sore healing, uh, and then prevention of UTIs. Um, I've shared, these are the short stay quality measures that CMS monitors closely. There are many others, but these are the only uh, 13 that our uh, CMS is following. And then there are 22 measures. Um, and again, there are more than these, but these are the 22 that CMS has quantified uh, for the STAR rating uh, that is um, measured monthly. Uh, we had one self-report for Park Ridge to CDPH and there was no findings on the visit. Um, and then just some information that there was a change with DHCS, the Department of Healthcare Services on the PASAR process. Now PASARs are the responsibility of the general acute care hospitals into the SNFs um, and that process has been going very smoothly. So kudos to our care management team um, who has been working on the training around that and Nilda and her team for helping support that. Uh, one regulatory change that happened with speech therapy, which is around posting some language about uh, our speech therapist licenses. Uh, and lastly, before the thank you, and I'll get it out of this uh, screen, is um, that uh, the subacute just had their recredentialing survey with the Department of Healthcare Services about two weeks ago. And we just received our findings today, which was very minor findings, very small findings. So they did a very good job and we're gonna send our plan of correction um, probably by Monday. And that's post-acute. Wow, Mr. Espinosa, that was very efficient. Uh, trustees, any questions? Congratulations on the uh, minimal finding. Yes. Great job. Always. Uh, uh, Richard, you know I always have a million questions, so apologies in advance. Number one, what is uh, what is the cadence on which they uh, adapt those star ratings? Is that an, on an annualized basis, semi-annual? How does that occur? Uh, when, when, you're, when these regulatory agencies are changing those star ratings, how does that happen? Great question. So uh, the star ratings change monthly. Monthly. Uh, they change monthly. However, uh, the so there's more than what I've shared. There's the quality measures change monthly, but the health inspections change. There's a three-year look back, and uh, the most recent year has more weight than the previous year and the year before that. So those change based on surveys that occur or high level uh, or deficiencies that occur. So those change more slowly. And then the staffing metrics changes quarterly based on data that we send through what's called PBJ, payroll-based journal. So interesting, because that is 
it, it makes sense why we're presenting you because this is a different part of the house, which is so different than what we've been used to. Uh, two more questions. My next question is, what is your quality infrastructure to measure and manage this data? Are you actually inter interfacing with our quality team led by Ms. Torres? Are you managing this in-house? Is it a little bit of both? Uh, so yeah, I think um, since I've been here, it really has been under the post-acute team, myself, my leaders of the buildings, my direct, not my, our <laughs> director of quality, yeah. uh, clinical operations. And so we work actually closely with CMS. And so we submit data from something called MDS, which is our minimum data set, but we look at quality on a daily basis, right? Because we're making changes daily, whether it's wound management, UTI, catheter management. And then we get a report from CMS on a monthly basis, which we already know the outcomes because we're tracking it, but they flag the certain um, metrics and flagging means those are the ones where you're higher than state and federal. We have very few that flag. That's why we're rated so high, but we even work on the ones that are not flagging to make sure we're delivering the best care possible. That's super interesting. So you're you're basically the one-stop shop for ops and quality data reporting, right? We kind of do from beginning to end. Yeah, a full wraparound. And, and, and I would say that's the standard for SNF care because it's usually all wrapped within the facility. Okay, super interesting. Last question, what keeps you up at night from a quality perspective? Uh, just making sure we're delivering the best care possible and that our teams feel supported and uh, have the tools that they need to deliver that care and feel uh, energized enough. Uh, my, my philosophy is if our staff feels good and supported about what they're doing, that translates into the care that we're delivering. And do you feel you have all those resources? Uh, I think we look at it every day and we do the best to make sure that we're ensuring that. Wow, well-navigated answer. <laughs> Mr. Espinoza, as always, thank you. Uh, with that, um, trustees, any questions for either uh, uh, the patient, for Ms. Torres or Mr. Espinoza? And know that we'll be hearing a little bit in closed session on, on, on other regulatory affairs. So we're moving with item D uh, is now closed. We'll go to item E, if you will, kind of our marquee presentation for the evening. Uh, trustees, you might recall that we sort of do a deep dive on quality improvement measures or equity measurements. So this is sort of the the, the rotating agenda item, which uh, uh, Dr. Tornabene and I work together to figure out. Actually, I give it to Dr. Tornabene. She picks what 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 is on on, on deck. So this is this is a really important one. Uh, they're all important ones, but this is a particularly important one. Uh, this is this is on palliative care, and this evening we're uh, going to have the pleasure of hearing from uh, Division Chief of Palliative Care. Dr. Wendy Anderson talking to us about are really, really important in the in the continuum of care for our patients, which are, are, are you know coming towards that far end of the continuum. So good evening, Dr. Anderson. Thank you so much for this invitation and for having me. Um, so I um, am the chief for palliative care across AHS, and then I'm also the content lead for the Advanced Care Planning QIP program. And so what I was hoping to do is to give you an overview both of the advanced care planning QUIP program um, that we're working on at AHS, but then also to tell you about the palliative care expansion um, that is underway with um, much support from many who are on this Zoom. 
Um, so I came to AHS in 2021 from UCSF and San Francisco General to lead um, expansion of palliative care services at AHS. And I'm just so thrilled to be here and I've been so grateful for the collaboration of many who are on this Zoom right now. So first, um, telling you about the Advanced Care Planning QUIP uh, program. So, Dr. Anderson, is it possible yeah. to size it up? Maybe the green uh, icon may, might size this up. Uh, it's it's kind of small on our on our. Uh, yeah. Thank you for letting me know. Is that any thank better? You. I think I think that's yeah. good enough. Yeah, definitely. You want bigger? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'll max it out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, I think the, uh, the crowd is happy before we have a meltdown. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad that's better. Thank you for telling me. <laughs> Great. So, um, so first of all, just a definition of advanced care planning. Um, it's quite simply to prepare patients and surrogates to participate with clinicians in making the best possible in-the-moment decisions. And this is updated from how we used to think about it a few, a number of years ago, which was like, you make all of your decisions 20 years ahead of time and then they're executed. And what we've realized is that you can't really um, accomplish that. And so it's more about preparation for that time when you are in the hospital. Um, the scope of patients that we focus on um, in reporting is all patients who are over 65. However, really wanna include seriously ill patients in this as well in practice. And the advanced care planning activities that we look at are first is any, it's really any of these. So first is designating a healthcare agent. The second is discussing values, goals, and preferences with your clinician and then documenting it in EPIC. And then the third is completing an advanced directive and or pulsed. And our QUIP target um, initially started out at 23%, but then because other places were performing better, has now risen to 55%. So the things that we've done so far is um, we initially started focusing on the inpatient setting. So doing a lot of education with the Highland resident and attendings, doing some demos and also talking about billing with the hospitalists at Alameda and San Leandro. And then as we've realized the importance of reaching out to the community, we've done a lot of demos. So thank you to um, Nikki and Richard and many others who have had us to do demos for them about advanced care planning in, in different settings. We've standardized documentation using note templates and stocking post forms. And then um, the QUIP team has been amazing at doing data visualization, which has been um, in conjunction with the palliative care team and I sharing resources and doing coaching with teams across AHS. This is some results of the completion of advanced care planning. Remember I said that we started on the inpatient setting. And so what you can see is at the top in orange is San Leandro Hospital. Um, there's relatively few hospitalists there and it turns out that they actually were doing advanced care planning in their paper charts before. So they were quite happy um, to incorporate advanced care planning into their note templates and have been compliant ever since. Um, Highland um, is in pink um, and we're doing above our target for inpatient, which is 80% consistently. This is very much um, due to no templates, but a lot of reinforcement from our palliative care team. 
And then the site that we're continuing to work on is Alameda, um, where there's more hospitalists and um, we're working very closely both with our palliative care team and the hospitalists there to do consistent advanced care planning. So overall um, doing well and heading in the right direction on inpatient. And we initially thought that only focusing on inpatient would be enough to meet this metric. However, with the change in the target, it is not. And so we have moved to outpatient. Um, I don't have post-acute here, but actually post-acute, um, because the pulse form is required, um, the, they meet the metric for all of the patients. And so what we've been working with Richard and his team on is more um, kind of depth of advanced care planning. Um, but they're meeting the QUIP metric. Um, and then this shows the, the community-based patients, so the outpatients by panel. And so what you can see is our, our target for, um, for this year is 50% would be an improvement. Um, and we're not close to that yet. So we still have a ways to go. The um, black is AHOs overall. There is a, you can't see it very well, but there is a slight increase over time. Um, between September 2022 and 2023. Um, and it, it is higher, the rates are higher at the places where we've been doing more presentations. So at Highland um, and at Eastmont. And so we'll be working on doing presentations at the other sites. And then this is our equity slide and I'll walk you through it and tell you the take home points. So what you can see is that um, in black with the diamond is um, the overall performance. And then in top as blue is African-American and yellow is white. And then um, the, so we're actually doing better than average in those populations, but the populations where we really need to target are the green, which is Latinx population, and then um, orange, which is Asian population. And I'll tell you in a moment about how we're targeting those populations. So the things that we're doing next, um, so really the ongoing reinforcement, quality checks, and then partnering with all of the community-based teams. I think the things that will really make a difference in moving things forward are further EHR integration. Um, so thinking about ways that we can not really be relying on providers to remember to do advanced care planning, but to remind them to designate a surrogate, for example. Um, it's been really challenging a lot of different places to scan the pulse or advanced directive forms into the right places. And so even though they may be done, they may not get into the right place. And then, um, Finally, access to notaries, both inpatient and outpatient is really challenging. And so that's another place that our team is working on expanded access. So that is the advanced care planning half. Um, I could either pause there or I could continue on to an overview of palliative care and then take comments and questions. I'll continuing if, you, if that's okay. Got it, okay. Mm -hmm. So now I just wanted to give you an overview of palliative care and the expansion that is underway at Alameda Health System. So I think the main thing that I would like all of you to know about palliative care is that it is specialized care for living well with a serious illness. Um, as most of you know, when someone is diagnosed with a serious illness or their family member is, the immediate reaction is I'm not gonna be able to do the things that I like. Um, I'm not gonna be able to be with my kids. I'm not gonna be able to be with my cat. I'm not gonna be able to stay in my home. If I'm not housed, I'm not going to be able to find a home again. I'm not going to get the care that I need um, 
as I am more dependent going forward. And so really that's our focus in palliative care is um, helping people to live as well as possible while they're getting treatments for their serious illness. So that could be partnering with patients who are getting cancer treatments, um, heart failure treatments, um, and organ disease um, who are being treated for dementia. So helping it to be um, as good as possible while they're going through this. So palliative care, um, these are wonderful things that if people are asking you about what it is, this is how we explain it to our patients. Um, it's really support to help you live as well as possible with your serious illness. We focus both on patients and their families. We have a really incredible interprofessional team. Um, so to the point about primary care providers not being able to do it all themselves um, in the face of serious illness, um, definitely a physician alone is not the way that we're gonna be able to meet all of the patient's needs. Um, so we really focus on psychosocial, spiritual connection to resources. We work really closely with the patient's other team members. Um, so oncology, heart failure physicians, primary care providers. A lot of what we do is relief from symptoms of serious illness, but then also the stress. Um, so including counseling and access to resources. Importantly, palliative care is available at any stage of an illness and it's provided um, no matter what the goals of care are. So it's different from hospice in that way. And a lot of what we do is really focus um, care on the patient as a person. So that's some language that we use to describe palliative care, and please use this um, if you're asked what it is. Our AHS palliative care services, um, this is a snapshot of where we offer services in 2023. Um, we started in Highland Hospital in 2009, and then we're able to grow an outpatient clinic in 2014. We work with a lot of community partners. And then we're able to start seeing patients at San Leandro Hospital in 2020, and then at Alameda Hospital in 2021. Our access um, to palliative care as far as patients served has really increased um, steadily over those years. Um, so you can see a big increase in 2020 and 2021 where we added services at Alameda and San Leandro. Um, we still are aware that there's room for expansion at our inpatient sites and a lot of patients that we're not seeing that we could. And then the real place where we need to expand is in the community. Um, so currently we only have two half days of outpatient clinic and we're not able to see people in the community outside of that. So um, we're thrilled to have a new um, grant renewal from the Stebsky Foundation, which focused our last expansion. Um, thanks lots of partnership um, from Richard um, for being open to um, working on this with us. Um, so we're gonna be focusing first on palliative care expansion to the AHS post-acute facilities, but then looking at expansion to home, um, virtual, adding clinics at other wellness centers. So really the focus of increasing access in the community. And we expect to be able to reach an additional 700 patients per year. Um, to the equity piece of this, um, a big piece is reducing disparities in both access and outcomes. And so as we're, a, developing our palliative care quality dashboards. Um, there is attention to the equity issues. Um, and specifically, um, you know, things that we've really tried to do is to focus on language um, concordance, cultural concordance. So we have um, Cantonese, Mandarin, Toysanese speaking staff, um, Latinx um, 
staff who is able to speak Spanish with patients. Um, and we're really partnering with the community outreach um, so that people feel like they're getting, having these difficult conversations in a culturally appropriate way to increase access. And then our final objectives for this grant is um, strengthening link linkages with the community partners because we can't do it all at AHS. And then of course, sustainability, both for our palliative care team, but ensuring that after the grant funding is done, um, we will be able to continue to offer these services. And with that, I will show you our beautiful team um, currently and say, say thank you on behalf of all of us for your support. Thank you, Dr. Sin. Trustee Friedman. Yeah, excellent presentation. I really like the way the program is organized and the holistic nature of uh, different aspects of the end of life. Uh, really well done. Um, my question is, how has the expansion and rollout of the program been impacted by the pandemic? Mm, great question, um, because we actually had this um, big grant um, to expand services to Alameda and San Leandro, and then that was right during the pandemic. Um, I would say that it was really a time that our pod of care service um, shone. Um, so I was not here during the kind of the, the new height of the pandemic, um, but really there was a huge pivot to telehealth. And so palliative care um, in conjunction with the Stebsky Foundation um, was really able to pivot to being the people who brought iPads into rooms um, so that people could see their family members, um, being the people who um, stayed in the hospital, went into rooms. Um, it, really, it really pivoted things and it, it, they were amazing during that time. Thank you. I think my comment is sort of like a, in my other job, I'm a relatively decent user of, uh, of Dr. Anderson's service and I, it makes a world of difference. Um, it's, we're sort of night and day where we are now versus two, three, four years ago. So, you know, uh, Dr. Anderson, it's, it's been, uh, uh, what a great thing that you've built uh, for our people here. Um, I guess my question is, uh, what, what sort of your next challenges and do you feel resourced to navigate those challenges? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that the figuring out the community access um, is the big next challenge and then um, working on the dashboard and tracking equity um, in both access and outcomes. Um, so that's our next big, um, big thing that we are looking to going forward. Um, I think that we feel we feel very lucky and supported by the AHS community and that people are partners and are willing to think with us about how to provide the best patients the best patient care, both inpatient and outpatient. Thank you very much, trustees. Uh, Trustee Sayan, any com any questions, comments? I, I do have one question. Um, you know, my knowledge of um, coverage for palliative care, for example, in Medicare, which is kind of the area that I really know, is it's not covered unless people are like in a hospice space. And I'm, what I'm hearing is we're finding ways to cover this with grants and so forth. But from a broader policy perspective, is there, can we see an opportunity in the future where you know, Medi-Cal and Medicare and fee-for-service settings would cover palliative services to people who don't have an end-of-life diagnosis? Um, so the, the great thing about the way that we're covering palliative care services at the moment with AHS is that it's, uh, it's similar to if you needed a GI consult. 
Um, so I, our, I and our other physicians bill for physician or provider services. Um, and so we're able to see patients both in the inpatient and the outpatient setting that way. Um, and then Richard will be partnering with us on figuring out how to do that in the post-acute setting. Um, and then um, we are fortunate that Tangerine is our executive sponsor for these grants. And so um, she is helping us think through um, how can we partner with health plans? I see you unmuted. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so actually, uh, a few years ago, California did require all Medi-Cal managed care plans to cover palliative care and hospice under SB 1004. But you are right, uh, Trustee Cyan, that in Medicare, uh, it is um, still in its infancy. Um, you may or may not be aware that Medicare has what's called a value-based ins insurance design where they're trying to actually put uh, palliative care and hospice into a managed care format uh, and test it. Uh, this is a uh, pilot until I think 2030, but I think there's an opportunity for entities such as ours that are showing the value of palliative care to help influence what happens at the statewide level and the federal level so there's appropriate uh, reimbursement moving forward. Excellent comments. Any other furthers? With that, Dr. Anderson, thank you for that great presentation. I'll see you on the wards. Thank you everyone so much. Um, with that, we'll close out item E. Item F is our planning calendar and issue tracking. I'll just remind the trustees in the room and, and the staff in the room uh, the, the Board of Trustees will be having their retreat on Friday, May 12th. That's an all-day affair. Two hours of that segment have been uh, uh, allocated to quality. The agenda planning team, of course, includes uh, the board chair, Banerjee, uh, Trustee San. I, I believe uh, Dr. Swift is also on that. I'll be making recommendations with regard to the two-hour segment of quality and then uh, the, the uh, agenda planning committee will make decisions on, on, on the final issue. So that is one thing that relates to quality, a two hour discussion. I hope we'll be getting a little bit of a preview on our true North metric items as well, and maybe hearing some updates uh, overall about our, our recent joint commission uh, evaluation. Um, uh, we all recall that true North metric items are usually approved uh, in June as we enter the fiscal year in July. We have had exceptions last year, being that one of our uh, equity items actually rolled into August because it was a rollout. So know that this is coming. So we'll be having these discussions probably in uh, a little bit at the agenda at the board repeat on May 12th, possibly hearing a more full presentation in May and then perhaps up to vote in June at the QPSC. Um, actually strike that, uh, wouldn't uh, council because uh, QPSC would follow the full board in June, those could go directly to the full board, couldn't they, for approval? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd have to look at the charter, but uh, generally QPSC is a recommending body. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, you should be able okay. to. Okay. Really, it'll so, probably be to your discretion. Yeah, so so maybe in May, uh, given that, Dr. Tornabene will, and I, I think the preview is we're largely going to keep our current dashboard uh, with some items, so maybe that becomes a little bit easier than usual. And then maybe we can make some kind of recommendations at the May meeting. So by the June 10th or whatever it is meeting for the full board, we can sure. approve. Does that sound acceptable? Yeah. Okay. Um, trustees, any other comments on any agenda planning items, calendar stuff? 
With that, we close out our open agenda items. Uh, Council. Thank you, Chair Bouquet. Uh, the quality committee of the board will now go into closed session to consider those items as stated on the agenda. Everyone have a good evening. We're probably only gonna be gone for about 15 or 20 minutes and then we're gonna come and close the meeting. So everyone have a great evening. Thank you for being efficient. Thank you.